0: Hello, welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I'm going to be giving you personalized user research advice based on your questions or struggles. So let's dive into today's episode. Hello to all of the wonderful user researchers or user research adjacent roles that are listening right now. I just wanted to pause for a moment and say thank you. It's episode 21. How cool is that? I almost just swore, but I don't have an explicit (laughs) on my Spotify episode, so I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or not. (laughs) I think I have sworn before, but maybe not. I can't remember. I would be highly proud of myself and also incredibly surprised if I have managed to not swear within 21 episodes, which is about – each is about 30 minutes, right? So about 10 hours of content. I would be very, very surprised, but here we are. Isn't it awesome? Episode 21. Woohoo. I don't like celebrating regular milestones, so you won't hear me say, yay to episode 20 or 50 or 100. It'll be like, yay, 107. I don't know. Maybe it's just the part of me that stayed behind that was a rebellious teenager. <laughs> it's like, I need to be different. I need to I need to do weird things. I was always very weird as a kid. I don't know. I feel like quite a few researchers were a little bit interesting and, and different as children or growing up. I hear a lot of those stories at least, um, but if you can resonate then you understand where I'm coming from. I used to hug trees and talk to them. My husband and uh, my friends make a lot of fun of me for essentially being an only child that spent a lot of time in her backyard talking. I talked to trees and I was under the impression that they were listening. And also I will say that one of the other reasons that I talked to trees is because I read The Hobbit when I was so young. I must have been nine when I read The Hobbit, and The Hobbit has Ents. If you don't know what Ents are, first you need to read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, right? The Hobbit, I will say, is more of a slog than The Lord of the Rings, especially at the beginning where Tolkien takes about 150 pages to just talk about a party. But hey, we love them. But Ents are living – well, trees are living, but talking trees. They're personified trees. (laughs) So – I thought that all all trees were ends, so that's why I talked to them. And in my mind, they talked back. So anyways, (laughs) moving on from my interesting and weird childhood that I'm sure we could all really psychoanalyze, but we won't today. Maybe that would be a fun future episode, psychoanalysis of a user researcher. (laughs) Anyways, what I wanted to talk about today is research repositories. And I know that I always say that I am excited for the topic that I am about to talk about. I must say that I'm not particularly excited to talk about research repositories because I do not love them. If I'm being honest, I do not love research repositories, but a lot of people struggle with research repositories and asking about them. So I will do my best to answer as much as I can with the caveat that I have never formally used one of the newer or shinier or more recently developed and delivered research repositories in a full-time capacity, right? So where I was in a full-time role, I have created research repositories before research repositories were a thing, right? I've created them but I have never used actual research repositories in a full-time role. And the ones that I'm talking about are research repositories by companies who sell their service as a research repository, right, but only created them. So the question that we have here is, I found myself struggling because we have so many entry points for feedback. And when I analyze feedback and research data, I used to come up with insights on Miro, but I'm afraid the insights that aren't yet used will be dead in a Miro board presentation or in a report forever. Do you think a research repository could solve this issue? If yes, I was wondering if you ever created a research repository, how you did it, how you got (laughs) buy-in, how you made sure to always have old insights when teams are ready to listen to them. So... Let's unpack this because there are a few things within the context of this question that I want to dig into. The first thing is having many entry points for feedback. Now, I personally think this is awesome. I was super proactive about gathering feedback and triangulating data because it was something that I learned super early on in my career. And it felt very important to me, especially when I was having a hard time getting buy-in for the proper sample sizes that I was looking for. So I had to work with a constraint number of sample sizes and participants before I got proper buy-in for doing user research. So that's less than the ideal number usually I was speaking to, especially when it came to generative research. So i did a lot of data triangulation and this was looking at many different types of feedback such as from customer support tickets from data analytics from reviews from account management from sales from product managers as well who were also interacting with customers which is a whole nother episode or two right so within that context, I did do a lot of triangulation. So I had a lot of data that was coming in. And that in and of itself can be really, really overwhelming, right? But it sounds as though you are doing a great job coming up, analyzing, getting the data, analyzing it, and coming up with insights on Miro right? that's doesn't sound like something that's necessarily broken. You do say, sa- say that you are struggling because there are a lot of feedback points. One thing that helped me with gathering continuous feedback was having a cadence that I reviewed it, right? So whether that was, hey, I'm going to take everything that's come in over the last month and spend half a day going through it and you know, saying, oh, we've already heard this. This is another tick in that box or, oh, this is new or, oh, this is starting to become a pattern or trend, right? Or every two weeks you go over this or every three months you go over this. Coming up with a consistent cadence in which you're doing this can be very helpful because something that at least I struggled with when we were getting a lot of different inputs was that it would scatter my attention even more. And usually as user researchers we can tend to already be quite scattered across topics so whenever you can create a cadence and chunk your time together to do one task it's always super beneficial so for instance i think in one organization every week or two weeks i can't remember the exact cadence that i did it in i was going over all of the data that was coming in from the other sources and analyzing it and either saying, oh, we already knew this, so this is adding to the evidence pool for this particular insight. Then there was another category of these are emergent emerging trends, right? So these are things we've heard a few times and they can, we continue to hear them or this is something that's completely new. So that's kind of how I categorize them. It just helped my mind in that way. So really having that cadence down and dedicating the time to it rather than just trying to do it all the time as things come in. Another thing that I would say is can you share this with anybody? Can you include others in this initiative of getting this feedback and analyzing the feedback? I know that that might be a big ask because not everybody is always interested in joining us for these kinds of topics, but at several organizations I was doing this alone and it wasn't until I floated the idea with my designers that they were like, oh yeah, we'll join you. This sounds actually kind of interesting, <laughs> right? And I was like, well, I don't know if I call it interesting, but hey, we'll call it something. <laughs> and I worked with them and we split we split the topics and split the feedback and it went a lot faster. So I'm wondering if also there's anybody that you can bring in that can help you through this process. And they don't have to join you every single time. So let's say that you do this biweekly, right, so once every two weeks. They don't have to join you every two weeks, but maybe once a month, you know, more people can join you in helping. So. That's one thing in terms of just getting that data, and also kudos to you for having a lot of entry points for feedback. I know that it's overwhelming, but it's a really great thing to learn to do and juggle, and triangulating data in whatever way that you can is such a good practice. Another thing that I would say that I want to dig into a little bit more is this concept of being afraid that the insights are not yet u- that are not yet used will be dead in a mirror board presentation or in a report forever. One thing that I would ask you is why? Why do you feel afraid? Has the, Is this something that's happened in the past, right? One thing that I will say is, and I'm, I'm gonna bring this up in a second, people aren't always good at self-serving, at finding things. So if things are in a mirror board and they're not finding things or they're not looking for them there, I would call into question, and again, I'm gonna explain this a little bit later, Having a research repository as a solution because a research repository is a self serve product, right? But before we dive into that, I'm just going to take another uh, quick step back into understanding more, understanding your fear more. So, why are you scared about the insights just being dead in a mirror board, a presentation, or in a report, right? And if this is something that's happened in the past, you need to speak with your stakeholders to understand why they died there. Why weren't your stakeholders looking at them? Because I just really wanna stress this, just because you create a research repository does not mean that stakeholders will change, right? Miro boards are repositories. Google Drive with presentations, that is a repository it's this it's it's a it's a similar thing right and i just want to stress that moving things into a different product or place might not solve the deeper problem so it's really understanding with your stakeholders why they are struggling to use the insights and looking into how you can better empower them and how you can be better thought partners with them. Because something that we struggle with and we forget to do as researchers is this end part of the process called activation, right? We are not meant to throw insights over the fence. And I know that sometimes we can't help it because of time, because of resources, because of whatever constraints there are. But we are meant to work with our stakeholders to help them activate the insights that we have and that we are presenting to them. And that means taking extra time and that means extra work in the form of something like a workshop or an ideation session, right? Or even just sitting with a designer and coming up with some prototype ideas, right? So we always forget, I shouldn't say we always forget, we can easily forget that part of our job is to activate and is to sit with our stakeholders and take that time until and this can happen, they feel empowered enough to take something from us and run with it on their own, which does happen, but it takes time. Like We are good at this because we have our insights, we understand our insights because we are the person who's doing the work usually, and we can understand the research, we understand the importance of research, we understand all of these things, and we're kind of like, okay, here's your insight, so duh, like work on it, it's super important. but not everybody feels that way, right? And we have to remember that on top of working on that insight, there are so many other things that these roles are responsible for that other people are responsible for. It's not just acting on user research that people are responsible for. So what I would do is I would really dig into like, why are you afraid? Has this happened before? If so, why has it happened, and really digging in with your stakeholders to understand why things aren't being used, why why people aren't looking on the mirror boards, why people aren't using the insights, really digging into that point because that's the actual problem, right? And just moving on to a research repository and moving information around probably won't solve that problem. Right, and also really looking into your process and asking yourself, am I helping my research, my <laughs> my product managers, or my colleagues, or stakeholders, or whomever? Um, am I really helping them with activating? Can they activate on their own? Do they have enough information? Do, do they feel empowered or motivated enough to act on their own? If not, what are some ways that I can further support within the activation phase of my insights? Right, so. Really digging in because research repositories can be a Band-Aid, right? They really, really can be a Band-Aid and they are a time intensive, huge effort, super, sometimes super expensive Band-Aid that then fails that makes everybody that much more frustrated, right? So before we even get into the research repository stuff, I would really – ask yourself and ask your stakeholders those questions about your fears and concerns and why things aren't being used right? because that will properly uncover the actual problem now i'm gonna go off of an assumption to to kind of talk through this next point when it comes to research repositories right so whether or not research repositories would solve this issue so If your stakeholders aren't feeling compelled to look something up, if they're not feeling compelled to use the insights, right? If they're not self serving, right? A research repository is not going to help you because research repositories, again, they are self serving products. They are not meant for user researchers to be constantly sending to people right? Finding things in a research repository and sending it to colleagues, right? Research repositories are meant to be places where where people can go to find research that might help them answer their question or get more clarity on their question, right? So if you have people who aren't very interested in user research or who aren't already kind of self-serving, or, or maybe people who are really struggling, like they are looking for things, they're doing their best to find research, but they're really struggling with finding all of the different research reports, but they're really trying hard to, but the organization is all off. Like if, if that's the case, like if they really are trying, right, if they're really self-serving, right, if they're really into user research and finding this stuff out for themselves, but they're struggling with the organizational aspect, yeah, a research repository might be really interesting for you. But those are some of the conditions that kind of come with creating a research repository. I would also say something that's helpful is if you have a lot of different researchers who are running around across a lot of different teams, even a research repository for the research team can be helpful, right? Not necessarily even your colleagues so quick story on this because i have created a research repository and again i haven't used any of these i guess more normal tools these days because they weren't available back when i was doing research repositories but i made a research repository Based on a template that I was looking for actually the other day and could not find for the life of me. So they might have taken it down. But what happened was, you know, I kind of like found the problem myself very similarly to what you were talking about. I was like, well, you know, people aren't really reading reports and, you know, who knows? I think that there's a lot of research that we've done and it's all in Google Drive and like I should make it into a repository. So I moved all the information into a repository and it took me ages. And I came up with like these tags and I was like, here you go. Like this is so easy now. Nobody used it. (sighs) Nobody used it because the problem that I was encountering, a research repository was not the solution for it right? My problem was that stakeholders weren't looking for research. They didn't really particularly care about my insights. I had to go back and understand more about why that was happening, not moving the information around. Now, if if a research repository is a good candidate for you, then I would highly recommend it because it's a great organizational system. It's a great learning to go through and, and create a research repository. But what I will say is – act as though the research repository is a product and anybody who is using that research repository is your user. Do interviews, understand how people think about tagging and taxonomies, understand how people search through things, understand how people categorize information and do, inter- do, do those interviews, do card sorting, do uh, tree testing, any sort of information architecture that you can understand about how people are searching and categorizing this information. Do usability tests and you have to continue to maintain it because it is a product. We can't just put stuff in there and organize it based on the tags that are in our minds as researchers, at least every single time I've tried to do that. I've failed miserably, (laughs) right? So what I would say is if you are into a research repository, I think that that's really great. It can be a great place for people to go and learn about users because it's like all in one place. It can speed up research because things are all organized Right. So people can find things more quickly. People can go and see if there's research that has been done already so that you're not repeating research all the time. So people can self serve to see if something can already answer their question. Right. You can use res- the research to potentially answer other questions that are kind of separate. From, from the initial question. So if, because sometimes there are these findings that come out of research, a research project that are kind of, kind of separate, like slightly off topic. And if you put those into a research repository and people can find them and they can say, oh, I had this question that was like slightly different from this other study that you did. And you're like, well, look, yeah, we actually found some stuff, right? So it is a great place to collect all of this research, right? And I I would say, as a user researcher, a repository is helpful, right? So it's helpful for – it was helpful for me to have it because then I could see themes and trends sometimes across research that was more difficult for me to see if it wasn't all in one place. But my goal for having a research repository was not to have it for myself. It was for colleagues. It was for me to stop answering as many questions. It was – for me to enable people to find things on their own. So when they came with a research request, they had already looked through the repository to see if there were insights that either answered their question or could further clarify or inform what they were looking to understand better. Um, It was meant to help people with onboarding and understanding our users more quickly. It was meant so that I wasn't doing repeat research or, again, sending out the same reports over and over again but I ended up doing a lot of those same things because my repository wasn't set up for success because one, I took my mental model and put it in the repository. And two, the problem was part of my actual research process in that activation phase and working with stakeholders rather than a research repository, right? So I would say before you run into Kind of moving this information into a new space and hoping that that solves the problem. Whereas I'm 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 not saying that it won't solve the problem because maybe it will. But first, I would make sure that you ask the question of why. Why are you trying to do this, and what are your goals for it, right? And do does your organization or do your colleagues fit the conditions for this to be successful, right? And and really going back and saying, okay. I I want I want a research repository because I'm scared that things are going to die in Miro. Things can die just as easily in a research repository, trust me. Right? So, really getting clear on those questions first and the reasons behind doing this and understanding first about your process and how you work with stakeholders in that activation phase, and then looking into research repositories. And once you do, again, that's for collecting information for yourself and also collecting and organizing information for your stakeholders in a way that makes motivated stakeholders more empowered to find things more easily, right? Once you determine that that's the right step, then treat it exactly like a product and do as much research as you can with your stakeholders to make sure that what you create is a positive user experience for your stakeholders. Because people won't use something that doesn't align with their mental models, right? Like we we tell that people this, we tell stakeholders this all the time. We have to do research so that we can align with people's mental models and with their needs and their goals and their pain, alleviate their pain points and all this stuff. And we have to do that too if we're going to create something like a, a research repository. So I would say, first pause. And ask yourself those questions and understand why you're looking to do this and if that makes sense or if there's other things that you can first explore, right? And then if, you're, if your colleagues in your organization do meet those those conditions, then really diving into looking at a research repository as a product. And that's a really great starting point. So as I said, I wasn't super excited about this topic because of just... The nature of research repositories. And I feel as though they are sold as something that they aren't, right? There's a lot of work that goes into them. And and as I said, that there's a lot of conditions that have to be met before that they're successful. And they're just not a quick, easy band-aid for things, right? We need to make sure that we're digging deeper deeper into the problems that are telling us that. A research repository might be a solution because there might be other things that we can do instead for right now that help us get the user research maturity to a level in which a repository does make sense. But we don't want to do all of that work first and have something fail because then it leaves a really bad taste in people's mouths and then people are are even less likely to use it even if the maturity gets better, right? So I hope that that was helpful for in terms of repositories. And Again, if there are any follow-up questions on this, please ping me. I, As much as I don't love them, I will be happy to talk about them and answer any follow-up questions to uh, research repositories. So thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and submit your next question. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Bye.